0: What does true humility look like, and how can we avoid fake versions of it? Are there times when we shouldn't submit to our church leaders? And how can I helpfully preach the gospel to myself in different situations in life? These and other questions like them will be discussed this episode. Welcome to Deeper, a podcast by Wollongong Baptist Church. Join us as we take the plunge and dive deeper into God's Word, the Bible here, we'll unpack and examine further the Bible talks presented on Sundays across our three English-speaking services. Today, we'll be thinking through more from our latest installment in our series on the Book of 1 Peter, as we consider what it means to be living as Christians now in light of our eternity with Christ. So, let's get right into it and dive Welcome back everybody to our final episode of Deeper for our 1 Peter series. That's right, we are coming to the very end of 1 Peter, looking at 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 1 through to 14, which was preached by Mark Roberts on December the 8th, 2019. And he joins me now, which is great and exciting. We've got lots of things to be talking about. Thanks so much for being here, Mark. Uh, Before we get started, though, can you just give us a bit of a recap on what you actually preached on on Sunday?
1: Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so the topic really that we were looking at was that of humility. And we had to think about how Peter's instructions here in chapter 5, he tells us right at the end of the chapter that what he's doing is reminding us about the true grace of God so that we would stand firm in it. And uh, the instructions throughout five, uh, chapter 5 are instructions that will enable us to stand firm, to make it to the end of the race that we're in as Christians Uh, to reach our heavenly home and to have survived as exiles, basically. And uh, the instructions are surprising ones. They're instructions about uh, being humble towards one another, particularly focused on us as a church and instructions to the church. And so we saw his instructions, first of all, to leaders, uh, that they were to lead with humility. And we went through a whole range of pictures of what that uh, kind of humble servant leadership looks like. Uh, We looked at the instructions uh, to the non-leaders, which is that uh, they are to submit to their leaders in humility, um, to be glad to obey them in the Lord. Uh, And then we looked lastly to the instruction to everybody, uh, which is to resist the devil, particularly resist the temptations towards pride and um, dishonoring of God. And we saw how all of those uh, instructions there towards humility grow out of or kind of motivated out of the hope that we have as christians and so uh, in each of those instructions uh, peter is linking back to uh, the, the future promise of grace that we have uh, that's been really on view throughout the whole book of one peter that wonderful inheritance kept in heaven for us that can never perish spoil or fade And uh, Peter is saying, you can live this way. You can pour out your lives this way. You can say no to pride. You can clothe yourself with humility because you know what's coming, because you've got a reward. So look forward to that and do what God's calling you to do here and now. So we kind of thought about that, reflected on that and thought about how to be better at being humble, basically.
0: Yeah, so the whole talk was really centered around that idea of humility. And I'm just wondering if you can explain what humility is for us a little bit more. You definitely defined it in your talk, um, but your definition was perhaps quite different to maybe the functional understanding people have of what humility actually look like. Um, I'm thinking of women in particular um, who perhaps think of humility as being some sort of self-deprecating kind of thing that looks like denying talents or rejecting compliments, Um, but your definition was really different from that. Can you just talk us through um, humility?
1: Yeah, so my idea and my definition of humility is really um, comes from the picture of Jesus that I think Peter has in mind as he's encouraging the church towards humility. The definition I offered was that humility is about setting aside personal interest for the sake of others and ultimately setting aside your personal interest for God's sake, serving others for God's sake. And uh, the, the sort of brief um, question I suggested we ought to think through is, how do I live for God and not for Mark or not for myself? So, that kind of thing. Um, and that definition just comes from the example of Jesus. It's Philippians chapter 2, really. It's Jesus who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, laying down his life, etc. Uh, and so I think Jesus is, is the picture of humility, the one who put others' interests and ultimately his father's interests before his own kind of self-preservation and and well-being um it's sometimes been said and i think this is kind of helpful in helping us understand what humility is not uh humility is not about thinking less of yourself but thinking of yourself less um i think that that's a really helpful little formulation because as you say people often uh have this picture in their mind of humility is like i put myself down i say i'm not good at things I, i refuse to accept a compliment I defer all glory away from myself, and uh, you know I I cover myself in dust and sackcloth and ashes or something. Um, but I don't think that's the biblical example of humility. That in some sense that would actually be to lie a lot of the time, uh, to refuse um, to be thanked or to refuse to acknowledge something that is true. Uh, rather, the the pattern of humility is to just direct away from self. I think it's to recognise that actually. I don't kind of need compliments and I don't need to be praised but that I want my father to get the glory and so uh, I'm going to focus less on my own reputation and my own um, uh, you know, adulation from other people and instead I'm going to, I'm going to think, less of my, uh, think of myself less and think of God more and try and help other people to think of God more as well. I think that's the kind of pattern of humility that uh, we see throughout the Bible.
0: Um, well, I think it's probably fairly easy to project a sense of humility, uh, but maybe something else is going on under the surface. Um, can you just t- talk us through perhaps what a counterfeit humility might look like?
1: Yeah, it, it's it's one of those things, uh, humility, that um, even instructing people to pursue humility, clothe yourself with humility, can result in something that's actually less than humble, uh, that we can, we can do that for the wrong motivation so easily. And uh, people can, uh, you know, put on an outward appearance of what sort of socially acceptable humility is in the church, and go, oh yeah, I'm like I'm satisfying that, and actually not be a humble person in their heart. Um, I don't think I think that's a danger. I don't think it's any different than it has been for anyone else in the church for the last two thousand years. I think Jesus speaks about the danger of that as well where a lot of the time when he's referring to the hypocrisy of the pharisees and those kind of people teachers of the law who put on an outward appearance of uh holiness and piety uh who project these images of not uh you know seeking reward for themselves but actually by doing that in such a way that they're trying to get noticed um that they're proving themselves to be hypocrites Matthew chapter 6 Jesus says that people like that who um, you know, give to the needy but do it in such a way that other people can see them doing it, uh, that they've received their reward in full, uh, which is quite a stinging kind of a rebuke on the kind of false humility. I think the difference between that kind of outward um, projection of humility and the kind of humility that Peter's calling us to in 1 Peter 5 is... Uh, that question of reward, like Jesus zeroes in on that and says that the people who are doing this in order to receive their reward now, they'll get their reward. They'll get thanked by people. They'll get praised and thought well of by other people. Uh, but the difference in it that Peter's calling us to is a future reward. It's a heavenly reward. It's having confidence that even if we do these things and no one sees them, our Father sees them and he'll be pleased and that there's a crown of glory re- uh, awaiting, for example, the leaders who pour out their lives in, in the service of others who follow that example of Jesus. And so I think, um, for me, I found that helpful, the question of why am I doing this? You know, If I know what a humble action looks like here, am I motivated to do this because I want other people to think well of me or am I motivated to do this? by the promise I have of future grace and confidence that my father is going to be pleased to see me doing this and that one day he will commend me for it. Um, I think that can distinguish for us, helpfully what's false humility and what's true humility.
0: Yeah. I think that's helpful. Um, I guess we'll switch gears now and have a bit of a closer look at the text itself. Uh, in verse two, um, it talks to the elders and, um, instructs them to be eager to serve. Um, my question is, I guess, is the instruction to be eager to serve just for those in positions of leadership? Um, if not, um, what if we're not feeling eager to serve? Um, is there a place for serving out of obligation, or should we only be serving if we're feeling really keen?
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think the instruction here. Um, I want to be. I'm, I, I don't want to make the text say something it's not saying uh and i want to be clear that the instruction here is to the leaders and telling them in your service be eager to do it don't do it uh out of compulsion don't sign up for this role um out of obligation that sort of thing and he gives the reasons why because um i think in the context uh you're going to suffer and it's going to be hard and so don't do it um you know feeling like you're kicking and screaming along the way uh so i think that's the principle first and foremost but I think that the the question that you're asking is more broadly than that. Um, can we infer that only uh, leaders have to be eager to serve, and that anybody who's not a leader uh, can just kick up their feet and say, "Oh well, like I'm, I don't want to serve, so be it. Doesn't matter. I'm not called to serve." Um, I think the the entire rest of the New Testament would um, prohibit us from from arriving at that conclusion. Um, aside from the fact that there are um commands for all of us to to serve and to give and to labor for the lord Uh, aside from the fact that there are those pictures those theological pictures that describe the nature of reality for us now as people who have been saved that we belong to one another that we're codependent interdependent on each other as the body of christ Um, those images of of us as a, a A temple for the Lord being built together as bricks in a temple. And so the implication being that we're all dependent on each other. I think all of those things teach us that everyone ought to serve in the church. And I use that sort of term quite broadly. Everyone who is a Christian who belongs to Jesus ought to serve him. They have some role to play. Aside from all of that, I would ask the question of a Christian um, who believes the gospel but who says i'm not eager to serve i would ask the question of whether they've actually comprehended the truth of the gospel fully because i think that there's an inescapable logic to the gospel that changes somebody and that makes somebody eager to serve it's the same change that takes place uh, as you repent and as you become um as you desire to live for god and not for self. Uh, you can't be a Christian if you haven't had that transformation, and that transformation is your conversion. It's repenting of self-reliance and becoming reliant on God and on the grace that he gives us in Jesus. And so I think in that same transaction that takes place as the Spirit uh, you know, enables us to put our trust in Jesus, that what happens is that we become eager, we desire to serve our Father, because of all he's done for us in Christ. I think every Christian ought to have that desire. Um, And so if somebody just says, no, I'm not eager to serve, I really would want to push back on that and say, you you need to take a deeper look at the gospel. You need to understand what Jesus has done for you more uh, so that your heart is changed and you desire to do that. Now, um, like I'm, I'm being quite black and white about this and saying Uh, that every Christian ought to be eager to serve. But I do want to recognize as well, and it's worth mentioning here, that there are always going to be uh, seasons in life where Christians are going to be unable to serve, you know, for sickness, because of uh, family responsibilities, because of stage of life, because of whatever. Um, And that's totally legitimate. Uh, This is not a command to say every Christian must serve 24-7 without any exceptions. Uh, But I think every Christian should desire that uh, and should pray and and work towards being able to contribute to uh, the 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 church, capital C church, you know, the body of believers, uh, serving them, serving God in some fashion. Yeah, we all ought to be eager in that way. I think.
0: Wow. Well, um, there may be some people who've heard all that and gone, "Ooh, I need to um, step it up a bit." Um, how might we do that? We're coming to the end of um, twenty nineteen. Things are shutting down, I suppose, in in one sense, but also January is not too far away. Um, a new year is around the corner. How might we actually get involved if we were feeling convicted by what you just said?
1: Yeah, there is always opportunities to join like formal ministry teams uh, here at WBC. There is so much uh, ministry that happens through this place all week long uh, that really anybody who's keen to serve with any kind of gifting. We'll be able to find some way to um, to serve and to labour and to help uh, our church in the mission that God's given us. Um, there are probably better times of the year that jump on board, you know, right into Christmas. As you say, things are winding down. So... Uh, Not really the perfect time to join a formal ministry now, but very soon in January, we'll be kicking back up again. New ministries will be starting for the year ahead. And so uh, the the thing to do would be to come and have a chat with one of the elders or pastors or better yet, one of the members of our church recruitment team. Uh, There are members at each of our church services whose whose ministry it is uh, to help everyone in our church find a ministry to join. And so if you don't know who those recruitment team members are, Come and chat with us, and we'll point you in the right direction. You can have a conversation about opportunities and how you'd like to serve, and, and what uh, the best way forward is. That's the formal side of it, uh, but really, you you don't need permission from us. You don't need um, you know approval to uh, to serve your brothers and sisters. Uh, there are so many limitless informal ways that you can do that. Uh, by being somebody who just gets to church early to greet newcomers and to be there to look out for them, to uh, be someone who has intentional conversations after the church service where you you offer to pray for people and minister to them there, Uh, being somebody who invests in the life of your home group and really tries to foster kind of gospel-centered friendships in that. Like, you, you be creative. Come up with ideas. (laughs) You you don't need um, a a specific roadmap for how to do that. Uh, It's a case of... Asking the question, uh, "What can I do that will serve my King and that will advance His interests? Uh, how can I give my time, my energy, my money, my everything uh, to help see that happen?" There'll be as many answers to that question as there are people in our church,
0: which is kind of exciting. I think there's lots of lots of opportunities. Um, all right, let's head back to the text. Then, verse six of uh, one Peter chapter five, it says, "Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand." that he may lift you up in due time. Um, my question is, what does it mean, uh, that phrase, being lifted up? Um, is that a reference to heaven? Is, is that a reference to having our spirits lifted, um, to being exalted with Christ? What does that verse actually mean?
1: Yeah, it's a little bit ambiguous, but... Um, I take it to mean the same thing that he promises uh, or that uh, Peter reminds uh, his readers of in verse 4 and also in verse 10, uh, the eternal glory, the inheritance that is to come, the crown of glory that they're going to receive. Um, I think that's the pattern in each of these sections of the passage is be humble now because of your future inheritance. And so I think being lifted up uh, there refers to... um, being vindicated by God on that final day, uh, being lifted up out of the pain and suffering of this life as an exile, and um, uh, and and receiving your reward eternally. That being said, I don't want to discount the fact that uh, I think that there is some truth um, to this being the way that God operates often uh, in this life for people. Um, and same with verse ten, um, you read you can read verse ten as quite a here and now kind of a promise that after you've suffered a little while in this life god will bring you through that season and bring you to a time of refreshing he'll he will lift you up he'll restore you make you strong firm and steadfast certainly uh, 1 peter five ten was uh one of the promises in that i read in the new testament when i first became a christian that was very dear and precious to me and i memorized it and always for a long time understood it to be a promise that applied to me now in this life that um, whatever I'm going through that it will come to an end in the not too distant future and that God will um, bring me back to a place of joy and a place of blessing and that sort of thing. Now uh, I've been a Christian for I don't know 15 years or something now and uh, I can see that I actually misunderstood that promise Um, I think in the first instance what that promise is referring to And the rest of the promises here in in 1 Peter 5 are that future promise. God will definitely do this. It will be true on that final day that he will lift you up. It may be true here and now that God will do that. He may bring you through your season of suffering um, and a season of trial to a a place of refreshing, but he may not as well. He may take you home before that season comes to an end. He may return before that season ends. So I, I don't think you would want to hang your hope uh, as you read these promises, that this is guaranteed to you in this life, because I don't think it is. It may be true, and if it is true for you in this life, then thank God for that. Uh, but our hope and the reason why we can actually live an entire life of humility, pouring ourselves out for the service of other people, is because this is true ultimately and eternally, not temporally. You know, in this life, if it if it wasn't true ultimately, then uh, we would, I think, only ever go through. Seasons of humility, seasons where we pour ourselves out. But the fact that this is true ultimately and for all eternity, and that our our final destiny is to be lifted up by God, means that the seventy years or eighty years or however long I get in this life, that I can pour myself out in humility consistently, uh, because the reward is so great in comparison uh, to if it was just a reward in this life.
0: Cool. Um, Well, you had the somewhat awkward job of pointing out to us that um, we have a tendency not to submit to our leaders. Um, It's just, you're just going where the passage is going. I acknowledge that. Uh, Verse five, in the same way you who are younger submit yourself to your elders. Um, You pointed out that uh, our Australian culture pulls down its leadership um, and that our church can do the same. Um, You pointed out that we can justify our lack of submission in this area due to mistrust of leaders or skeptical judgments about leaders maybe it's um stems from noticing flaws in our leaders and you you acknowledge that you know if we look for them they'll definitely be there we're all just sheep um it could also come from just simply disagreeing with decisions that are made by the leadership Um, and that's a message that we uh, need to hear and we ought to repent of um, our lack of submission to our leaders um so but uh, I guess at the risk of sounding like I'm trying to kind of get out of that, um, are we to simply follow the lead of anyone in church leadership without using any kind of discernment of our own? Are there circumstances where we ought to not follow our leaders?
1: Yeah, this is a really helpful question, and I wish I had time uh, to have kind of gone into the exceptions to this uh, rule in the sermon, but the sermon was long enough as it was. Um Yeah, there is definitely uh, a wisdom and discernment that needs to be exercised as you try and figure out submitting to your leaders. Um, It's not a blanket statement that says you never uh, disobey and you do every single thing your leader tells you to do. Um, And I think the way I understand this is in the, the same way that I understand the instruction, particularly to the wives in chapter three that as they submit to their husband, they're to submit to him for the Lord's sake, so conscious of God, that's where that kind of idea comes out again. And what that means is that their allegiance, their submission is first and foremost to their king, and only secondarily and sort of um, by proxy to their husband. Uh, And so if their husband is trying to lead them astray, lead them into sin, or lead them into an ungodly, unwise decision, then the wife ought to disobey actually that they ought to say i'm sorry my allegiance is to jesus and i can't do what you're asking me to do pains me that that's the case but if you make me choose between you and jesus i'm going to choose jesus and the same should be true of church members when it comes to their leaders if their leaders are trying to lead them down a path of rejecting the truth of the gospel of um endorsing something that uh, the scriptures explicitly call sin for example then uh, the command to them is not 1 peter 5 uh, verse 5 you know submit to your leader do what they say the command is i think stand for the truth of the gospel um, be uh, be uh, allied to your king serve him uh, before you serve any human authority and so yeah there's definitely times that you're supposed to push back Uh, i think with Uh, And I tried to paint this picture a little bit a few weeks ago when we looked at that passage uh, on the relationship of wives and husbands, that the wife's um, submission to her husband actually involves helping her husband to carry through his leadership. Uh, and So doing everything she can to help her husband to be a godly leader. And I think the same ought to be true of church members as well, that it's not just a passive... I go where you tell me to go. I do what you want me to do. It's actually, as a church member, uh, the way I can submit is by helping my leader to lead well and to lead in wisdom and to lead in line with God's will. And so I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to seek counsel for them. I'm going to push back and ask clarification on some of their decisions to help them to think them through more clearly. I know personally I've been helped uh, over my time here at WBC by godly church members who have sought clarifications on things that I said, you know, I wanted us to do as a church. And they would say, well, have you thought about this? And what about this consideration? And through dialogue and through their godly uh, willingness to to help me to come back to the scriptures, we've come to better conclusions than we would have come to if they hadn't have asked the questions that they did ask. So, yeah, there's definitely a cooperation that I want uh, us to understand when it comes to submitting to our leaders and yeah first and foremost to understand that our allegiance is to god not to this uh whoever this leader is over us so that being said um i i do want to also acknowledge that um it can be easy even then to say well i'm going to continue to um uh, disobey or to refuse to follow my leader on this particular thing uh, and to blow it out of proportion to be um an issue at which we think we're being um, faithful to God over our leader. And a lot of the time where we make those kind of decisions, it's just our own sinful preferences. It's our own uh, tastes or desire to do one thing in church over another. And it, and it actually comes back to an unwillingness to submit. And I would say if you as a church member uh, disagree with the direction of uh, of either one of the pastors, the elders, or your ministry team leader, wh- whoever it is that you're called to submit to, whichever leader in this circumstance. If you disagree with the direction and you've expressed that to them and you've sought the scriptures together, and at the end of the day, the leaders made the decision to to continue to go in that direction, then unless it's explicitly leading you into sin, I think you ought to get on board with it at that point. Uh, and um, like a classic example uh, and, and I'm not uh, trying to single any you know particular issue out here but it's very common in a lot of churches uh, for there to be disagreements over the, for example musical style and uh, certain people have certain preferences of a particular musical style and the leaders uh, don't choose that style for their Sunday gatherings their, their music. Uh, What do you do at that point? Do you continue to conscientiously object and to refuse to sing, to refuse to participate in the music, or do you submit to your leader and get on board with it and say, well, it wouldn't have been the decision that I made, but uh, for the Lord's sake, I'm going to sing here and participate and whatever. I would say that I think the the godly decision to do at those points is to submit. Uh, if, If you find yourself in a situation in church where week after week after week after week, you have to uh, disobey the instructions of your leader, I think one of two things either has to change. Either the leader's got to change their opinion or you've got to change yours. Uh, but I don't think we ought to remain in those situations where we're weekly or daily <laughs> being disobedient to our leaders. Um, I, I think we ought to work hard to submit to them, to lay down our personal preferences uh, and uh, t- to do it for the Lord's sake.
0: Thanks. Thanks. Um, well, verse eight uh, paints a pretty vivid picture for us of Satan. Um, it describes him as a prowling lion looking for someone to devour, um, and that's a that's a confronting image. It's a scary image. Um, and it's one that you reference in your talk, and uh, you mentioned that kind of the remedy. Um, against Satan's attacks is to preach the gospel to yourself. Um, And so my question is, how do we do that? When we're in the moment, when we're aware of Satan prowling, how do we actually remind ourselves of the truth?
1: Um, Yeah, I saw saw that we were going to talk about this question. And um, my thoughts on this are that I could give you my answer to how I do that for myself. And I'm happy to do that, uh, but that it may actually look different for different people. And so I don't want to be too prescriptive of this um, because I think there's a general principle here and it's kind of up to each of us to make that work in our own hearts and our own minds and our own lives. Um, So I suppose uh, generally what I would say is the way that we preach the gospel to ourselves is by returning to the truth of the gospel as we have it in scripture. And so I think for anyone to preach the gospel to themselves must involve uh, somehow reminding yourself of the truth of what we know uh, from the promises of God in the gospel, in scripture. So maybe that's scripture memorization. Maybe that's through prayer and meditation on um, the truths there. Uh, Maybe it's through uh, having daily devotional habits to force yourself to process and read and reflect on um, uh, these gospel truths uh, in terms of let's say in the moment so in the in a moment of temptation when and i sort of paint an example of that where we're tempted to believe those lies to question god's goodness to question god's control over us what do we do in in that moment um i suppose my understanding and in the way that i apply this in my own life the way i preach the gospel to myself is by trying to think through what the connection is between the the behavior that I know I ought to uh, be acting here in this moment of temptation. Let's say it's a, a temptation towards pride. And so I know that in that moment I'm being tempted and that the right course of action, the godly course of action is humility. Okay, So what is the connection between how I ought to be living in this moment, humility, and the gospel. How does how does the gospel function to make me a humble person? And so what I'm trying to reflect on as I preach the gospel to myself is trying to understand how that behavior is motivated by the gospel. I'm not just trying to recall a specific command of scripture that tells me to be humble. That's great. But what I want in my heart is to want to be humble. And the way that that change happens, the way that my heart desires humility and I choose the path of humility over pride is by reflecting on the truth of the gospel and understanding uh, who I am and what God has done for me in Christ uh, and having my heart changed, that I desire humility. And so I might, for example, remind myself of my Savior who laid down his life for me, who had every right to choose pride. He's the only person in in all of uh, history who had the right to stand up and demand for people to worship him, but he didn't. He laid down his life for... Uh, us and for me and so i remind myself of that and i'm reflected and i'm reminded rather of that wonderful example for him but also given that he's done that for me i want to live for him i want to live the kind of life that brings glory to somebody who's so deserving of that and so that makes me want to live in a way that reflects on him well and that 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 gives him the honor that he's deserving for what he's done for me in humbling himself. So I now desire in this moment, I desire that path of humility. I choose that instead of pride. And so it's it's that kind of process. It's just a hypothetical, but it's that kind of process of connecting my behavior or my, my thoughts, or whatever it is that I ought to be doing in that moment of temptation, connecting that with the truth of the gospel and asking how does the gospel function here to to make me uh, act that way, live that way, think that way, behave that way. And that, that takes practice uh, to, to reflect on that. It takes a, a semi-decent knowledge of scripture and to kind of be fluent in the truth of the gospel, you've got to have quite a, a deep, um, comprehensive uh, understanding and picture of what God has done for you in the gospel to be able to apply its truth into your life in any given moment and and to have God kind of minister to your heart. Uh, and so I think it takes practice. That's an area that we can help each other in as well. Being able to um, talk quite openly with a Christian friend, um, brother or sister, that, uh, you, that you trust, that you can say, this is my struggle, and you know, it's um, anger, for instance, can you help me to understand how the gospel ought to change me so that i desire something other than anger at this point and have your friend preach the gospel to you you know that can be a helpful way to practice that kind of dynamic of um, understanding the f- the functional centrality of the gospel to our lives
0: which is pretty that's pretty different i think from um, the dynamic in a lot of my friendships i think which is either to sympathize and kind of almost add a flame to that that anger or um to yeah, just be preaching and be like, Well you shouldn't feel angry. Um yeah, so I think yeah. <laughs> so I think that's really helpful. Um cool. Well oh, we are at the end of One Peter. I just thought it might be um useful for us to zoom out a bit. We have been in this book for the last eight weeks, two months we have spent studying this letter. Um and I thought to wrap us up, it might be helpful to zoom out and just think about um, the book as a whole. Where have we been? Um, what have been the main uh, things that have challenged and encouraged you personally, Mark? I'd be really curious to hear about that. Um, yeah, maybe you could share that for us firstly.
1: Yeah, well, I think the the consistent thing that's come out of, I think, every sermon in this uh, series and every passage that we've studied in home groups has been just that um, beautiful multifaceted picture of our hope, uh, that living hope that we uh, we have in Christ. It's been it's, it's sort of been presented like this diamond and every angle that you look at it from is beautiful in a different way. Uh, and there's just been so many rich pictures that I've appreciated of that hope and being being reminded uh, of um, our privilege in Christ, our, our position in Christ, our status now, Uh, and what we have to look forward to that's been so refreshing for me uh, over the course of this series and i hope it has been for other people as well i think that is in a sense the main picture of one peter is a a reminder of um your incredible privilege in christ uh set alongside that picture of the the reality and sometimes the the grim reality of what we're going to experience in this life Um, being hated because we belong to jesus uh, being called to uh, live for others instead of ourselves uh, being called to suffer uh, to wait the the sweetness and the beauty of our hope in jesus makes all that possible and that's come through really strongly for me it's been a really lovely thing to actually reflect on particularly as we kind of get towards the end of the year and we're often feeling a bit tired and a bit worn out and a bit like oh gosh when is this race going to come to an end <laughs> uh but yeah being having that our eyes fixed on the glory to come has been lovely
0: Really like that image of the diamond of different angles that's really helpful um if you had to kind of sum up the whole book for us in a sentence like could you possibly do that i know there's so many things better be going on there but have a go
1: Uh, This world is not your home. Uh, You belong to Jesus. Uh, You've got the wonderful promise of eternity, uh, which is just in a little while. Uh, And so live for your king uh, in every relationship and every corner of your life. Uh, Live for him, honor him, uh, submit, obey, um, be humble and serve your king uh, because eternity is worth it.
0: Well, thanks so much, Mark, for um, joining us and for sharing your wisdom um, and for journeying with us through 1 Peter. Um, That is the conclusion of this book um, and almost the conclusion of our podcast for 2019. Um, There is one more episode to come that will be released next week. It's going to be a um, 2019 retrospective with all three of the pastors sharing um, some reflections on the year that has been the uh, things that they have learnt, uh, God's faithfulness to our church. So please tune in again then. Um, Otherwise, we will catch you next year. You have been listening to Deeper by Wollongong Baptist Church. We'd love you to join us at any of our services this coming Sunday. For details and to hear further content, please head to our website at wollongongbaptist.org.